Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chloe Rogers, and I'm the Digital Engagement Director here at Rolling Hills. In our current series, Refine, we've been looking at the seven deadly sins and how we can fight these sins together. And today we're talking all about greed. Money can have a tight hold on many people's lives. It can cause unhealthy habits and deeply affect relationships, both with others and with God. That's why we want to not only learn to fight greed, but to also grow in generosity in all ways. And the best part is you're never fighting alone. So let's learn to fight together. Thanks for joining us today. You guys sounded really good when we were singing together. And, and I mean, the band sounded awesome, uh, but you guys sounded really, really good as we were singing. It just, I'm so thankful to be able to be, to be in this place and uh, to have launched Rolling Hills Columbia in September and then uh, now to, you know, to be a, a couple months away from that and uh, to have God just continue to move and to be here at, and, and be able to pastor and uh, lead this congregation is just a, an incredible blessing. So I'll move on. We'll, um, we're in a series called Refine. Uh, and that, we said just a second ago, and so what we've done over the past couple weeks, past two weeks, uh, as we started the series, what we'll continue to do is look at the seven deadly sins that we find that, that are kind of Jesus or the, the Proverbs say there's six things that God hates, seven that are an abomination. And so uh, just kind of our goal over this next little while is opening up God's word and looking at these seven deadly sins, these sins that are kind of listed uh, in, in history or kind of come to be known as the seven deadly sins and ask God to shine his, the light of his word and his grace on these sins and kind of give us a picture of what it looks like to be free and to be refined and restored and to have the hope uh, of the gospel, to grow into full, fully mature disciples where our actions and our attitudes become and look more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's why we're doing this. I love what Pastor Nick said the first week and, uh, you know, like some churches don't talk about sin at all and some churches talk about sin too much. We don't want to be on either end of that. We want to be right there in the middle. It's like I said earlier, we want to be Goldilocks on this, right? It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's just right. We want to talk about sin because sin's real, but we want to talk about God's grace because it's way greater. Right. And so we were going to continue to go through this and, you know, just a little bit of a background, just to maybe you haven't been or maybe just to kind of catch up uh, of, of where we are this morning. The seven deadly sins that are historically identified are lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy and pride. And those were identified kind of, if you kind of look back early church fathers, like 300 AD, uh, there was a, 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 a monk named Eveg. Evagrius of Ponticus was the guy's name. I tried to find a picture of him. Uh, he looks like a pretty swell fellow, but I couldn't find one that was good. Uh, obviously, they're just drawings from three. Anyway, let me just keep moving. Um, like you didn't know that, right? Like, no, anyway. Um, but he identified these seven and really what they, they originally, what he called them was thoughts. And he said inside this monastic movement, these seven thoughts should not be there. These seven sins should not be found inside of this monastic movement. These desert fathers that kind of remove themselves from society. And the reality is that they don't have a place in our lives either. They don't have a place in our lives as well. And so we want to recognize, and just again, if you have your, your worship guide, the kind of the premise that we've just kind of been operating on and, and just a, a reminder for all of us is that the seven deadly sins are considered the root from which a host of other sinful attitudes and actions grow. The seven deadly sins are considered the roots from which a host of other sinful attitudes and actions grow, but all sin, 
we got to remember this, that all sin, according to Scripture, is deadly. For the wages of sin is death. All sin is deadly and destroys the life that God meant for his creation, for us to live. We covered first week lust. Uh, Pastor Nick did a great job there. Last week we covered gluttony. And we talked about how gluttony was exposed to much deeper hunger in our hearts, right? That, that a hunger, it's a hunger that invites us to find satisfaction in Jesus by coming to him and tasting and seeing that he is good. And uh, I, again, I, I brought back my gluttony outfit, right? This is to hide, uh, to try to look skinny uh, with a goal there. And, and I'll tell you this, that A, I've never had a sermon, I've never preached a sermon that got more response than the sermon on gluttony. I've never had people talk to me about a sermon as much as y'all did about gluttony. And I think it's because y'all eat three times a day and y'all thought about it all week long. But it's all, also what's funny is last week, uh, worship guy, you know, there's a recycle bin out there and you can drop your, your worship guys in it. It has never had anything in it until last week. I think y'all were like, I, I ain't trying to keep that with me. I ain't trying to know. Look, we got Super Bowl. Remember habit, not, you know, not holiday, not habit, right? But this week we're going to talk about greed. We're going to walk, look at what, what this, the subject of greed and, and the sin of greed. And we're going to do the same thing that we did last week and ask three questions. What is greed? Why should we take greed seriously? And how does the gospel refine us and give us freedom and hope as we face greed in and around us? And so if you have your Bibles, again, we're going to, we're going to read our text this morning and pray. And then we're going to dive right in. Again, it's uh, Proverbs Chapter 28, I think I said verse 15, but it's chapter or verse 25 is the, is the text this morning. And here, this is what it, the text says. It says, the greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are so good. And we thank you that we can sing and speak your name over all of the things that we face. As we sang over fear and anxiety, over depression, over our family. And as we talk about sin, God, we want to recognize that there is sin and brokenness around us and inside of us, but we don't want to get very far before we speak the name of Jesus. Because in Jesus, we have victory. Because Jesus, because of you, we are not without hope. So we speak your name. We ask you, Spirit, Holy Spirit, to move in this place. We invite you to open our eyes, to see the beauty of your word, to draw us near to you and our hearts to be softened to your voice that we would hear you. And God, that through the preaching of your word this morning and through songs that we sing, God, that you would transform our hearts and make us look more like you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen, amen. I, I, I think that this is a common phrase. I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe you've never heard it. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase, it's just the soup we swim in? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right, that, uh, the looks that I'm getting mean no, right? So I don't really know if this is, maybe I just made it up. Maybe I think it should be a common phrase. It's just the soup that we swim in. It, it, meaning like this is just the, the world that we live in. It's the culture that we live in. It's the, it's the things that we all know and, and, and take part in and maybe we don't even recognize it, right? And the reality is that there's things that are, that are the soup that we swim in. The smartphones are the soup that we swim in, 
right? We have these things, and Google is the soup that we swim in, right? How many of you, even as Josh said it a second ago, the first thing that you do when you don't know something about something is that you Google it, right? It's the soup that we swim in. It's the, it's the culture that we live in. It's the, the place that we find ourselves. And the reality is, as, as I kind of think about this, even this phrase that I just made up, I guess, uh, is, is that there's things that are the soup that I swim in when I was younger that are things that my kids will never experience. It's the, the, the soup that my kids swim in, that we swim in today. It's a different soup than the soup that I swim in when I was a kid. And for instance, there's things that like they're never going to experience. And let me give you a couple of examples. First is this, my kids are never going to know what it means to check out a book and know the other people that checked it out. Like for instance, Michael Jackson checked out this book, right? That's exciting. I don't even know what the book is, but I'm checking that one out, right? Some of y'all, you don't, maybe you don't know what that is. I'm like, no, that's for real. That's, that's, that's fun. Some, they'll never know what a Friday night walking in the blockbuster was like, right? Hoping that nobody had gotten the new release section yet, that the movie that you wanted, they'll never know what it was like on Saturday at eight o'clock when you're like, oh no, we've got to bring that movie back. And then at 8.30 when you realize you didn't rewind it. And that dude gives you those, those, those eyes like, you're, you know, I'm like, just put it in the thing and rewind it. It's not a big deal. What else do you do? They're never going to know the struggle of where to put your discman, right? This fits in your pocket. It's cool. Discman didn't, right? But you wanted to walk around and look cool and have music playing. Where did you put that? And they're never going to know the struggle of it skipping every time you walked or took a step while you're trying to strut and look cool. They're not going to know that. It's not the soup that they swim in. They're never going to know what it looks like to have a cell phone with minutes and text limits, right? You're not gonna know that. They're never gonna know what, it, what it's like to use a phone with a cord. That means you have to be in a public place to be suave with the ladies, right? They're never gonna know what it looks like. And that's a rotary, I don't mean, they certainly, some, most of y'all wouldn't even know what to do with that thing. They're never gonna know what it's like to record a song off the radio with their boom box. Record and play at the same time, right? And they're not gonna know what it's like for that tape that they've played over and over again to, to like completely fall apart and not be able to get it back in by rolling it up. They're not gonna know these things. They're not gonna know floppy disk. They're not gonna know it. They're not gonna know encyclopedias because they just Google it. They don't know. Like I, that, that was literally the set I had. And it was old when I got it. But they're not gonna know what it looks like to go to, do- to go to the D encyclopedia and look up dogs, and that's the only species that you knew. There were no doodles. This was it. You're not gonna know it. It's the soup that we swim in. Then is not the same as it is now, and the reality is that my grandkids, please, Lord, they're not going to know the same soup that they, my kids swim in. But you know, as you look through this, there's something, there's, there's lots of things that'll change in that soup, in that cultural soup, but there's a couple that don't change. There's some ingredients inside of that soup that are foundational in, that, in, in what we live in, and one of those ingredients is the ingredients of greed. That whether or not you're in a soup in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 90s, 2000s, or whatever, 20, the 20s, which have been a dumpster fire so far, you can count on greed being an ingredient in that soup. 
It's pervasive. It's, it's, it's a part. It's, we're, submerged in, we're submerged in it. It floods every corner of our culture. It spills into every area of our lives. It's, ro- it's woven into the fabric of our existence. It calls out from every advertisement that we see. It's present in the boardroom as well as in the bedroom. It influences those places that have a lot as well as those places that have a little. And it's easy for us to point to CEOs and and corporations as those who have a lot and and make a lot, right? But the reality is that it's happening just as much in the cul-de-sacs that we live in. It's easy to point out there and say it's those people, but the reality is it's not just out there. It's right here and in here that greed is happening. And somehow it remains largely inconspicuous and though it gnaws at the young and the old alike, the found, it's foundational in the soup that we swim in. And even though we may reject it, we're a little slow, unwilling, or really maybe wholly incapable of clearly pointing greed's pervasive effects on all of us in the way it, it floods into every part of our, our world and all of our thoughts. One author says it this way, it's appropriate yet stinging observation. It says, we may not formally baptize or adopt unrestrained greed, but we have winked at it a thousand times. And we swallowed our reservations and the weed of greed happily grows to fill every inch that we will give it. And then And as we move forward to ask the questions and and look at God's word and what it says about greed and why we should take it seriously, I just want to remind us, I said this last week, but it bears repeating that as we open up God's word, Proverbs and and God's word in general, that we, we need to realize that these are wise, caring, loving words from a loving father. That's not trying to steal away or take away joy, but rather give the joy and, and, and complete the joy that he's created us for to teach us what life, what a full life looks like and how to be free from the snare of greed and the sin of greed and invite us into a life of hope and escape greed's grasp. And so we begin with a definition. So what is greed? Foundationally, if you have your worship guide, greed is the love of money, but it's more than the love of money, right? It's the love of money, but it's gotta be more than the love of money. If we think, if we're going to be faithful to, to really what's happening, it, it, it is money, but it's not just money alone. It, 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 it's, there's reality that it pervade, it's pervasive in every aspect of our lives as we look up and down our culture. So we, if we have to say that it's going to be, that it's desire gone wrong, if you want to fill these in, desire gone wrong, disordered affections, misplaced cravings, our unquenchable appetite for more, for greater, for new, or for better. I'll do that one more time. It's desire gone wrong, disordered affections, misplaced craving, or an unquenchable appetite for more, for greater, for new, or for better. One translation uh, takes the passage of scripture and it says this, that we just read, it says that rather than greedy, it says the grasping man or woman stirs up trouble. I think that's a helpful picture for us of what greed is because it's, it's that, that reality of, of it's more than just money and, it, and because grasping is what it looks like. 
right? When, when, when our desires have gone wrong, when our affections are disordered, when our cravings are misplaced, our appetite unquenchable, that we're grasping for more and more money. We're grasping for the things that money can buy. We're grasping for possessions, power, position. We're grasping for popularity, for relationship, maybe for time. And the list goes on of things that we can be grasping for and greedy about. But remember, if we think about this in, in, in reality, that greed is just a, it's a marring of the reality of what God has done in us and the, the perfect picture of who God is and what he's provided. And greed, greed is, is, is marred desire. God placed in us the desire for things. He invites us. He gave us these things to, he gave us, he designed us with desire and he tells us that he placed desires within our soul, invites us to bring our desires and our cares to him. He even says that he longs to satisfy our desires, but it happens when we cross over, when, it, when desires become disordered, we cross over into greed and we find ourselves grasping and fighting for more and more. And it's easy, like we said again a second ago, that that it's more than just, that, it's, that greed is more than just a money issue or a possessions or a power issue. Ultimately, as we bring it down to the bottom, it's an issue of our heart. Greed is an issue of our heart because we can struggle with greed whether we have a lot or a little. We can struggle with greed whether we have a lot or a little, so it's an issue of our heart. One author says it this way, that greed can plague the prince just as easily as it can the penny pincher. So it's not just an issue of those people out there, but an issue of me and in here, of my grasping for more, this desire to have more and more. So the question next is, why do we need to take greed seriously? I, maybe you guys have gotten into this. Uh, I had a section of time where I was really into uh, podcasts, specifically true crime podcasts, uh, and I would just devour them, right? I mean, it was, it was probably unhealthy. Um, but, there, you know, like I had to slow down a little bit because the, I found myself like walking outside in the morning when, when it was not light outside yet and being like, this is how it all happened. Right. I could disappear right now, just like they did. Right. I mean, and, and kind of get a little nervous about, you know, something there was a, my neighbor had this during Christmas, he had these blow ups and one of these bears that he had, like it would blow up and it would grasp his glass his arms like this. And I'm telling you at five o'clock in the morning, when it's dark outside, you walk outside and there's a bear across the street and it grasps him. You're like, I'm about to die. <laughs> there's somebody inside that and I'm about to die and I'm going to be on a podcast. We got into these, and, and so like there was these morning, like this reality that I was like, man, this could be bad. I need to slow down a little bit. I got to the point where I didn't trust my doctor. I was sizing up my neighbors, right? I was wondering if my friends were, which one of my friends were slowly grooming me to be their next victim, right? And, and you know, like if you were, if you were too kind, I suspected you. If you were weird, I suspected you. Even my wife, as faultless as she is, Almost eight, bride of almost 18 years, she was not outside of suspicion. And I joke a little bit, maybe to like loosen you guys, make, let you, you scoundrels relax so that I can catch you. But, but the reality is, I felt like there was, I mean, that, that's a, I'm joking, but there was a point when I, like, I was really a little nervous. And maybe there was something happening. Like, why did that happen to them? Like, why couldn't it happen to me? And the reality, like for us, if, if I told you that there was good evidence, that there was a predator that was lurking nearer than you could imagine to you right now, 
A predator that promises delight, but destruction was really its aim. A predator that, that was, that's lurking as you walk up and down the aisles at the grocery store, that's, as, that lurks as you scroll through your social media, that's preying on you as you shop online, that preys on your heart's desires. And our appetites for more or a little more or a little, a little better or something newer. A predator that employs an army that is always on the offense. When we're looking at our bank statements, when someone asks for help, especially when your pastor dares to talk about money or greed and our relationship to money on a Sunday morning, there's a predator that's lurking. Scripture says that he's crouching at the door and desires to have us. That he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's a predator. And I would underline the predator's name is greed. Obviously, we talk about scripts in, in scripture, it's sin, but this specific that this predator, his name is greed. And, and, and there's a couple of things that I would say that the reasons why we need to take greed seriously is because beginning it's a lie. Right, the predator, this is a predator that lies to us. It deceives us, it, it deceives us with these broken and empty promises of a full life if we just have a little more, if we just have something new, if we just have something that's upgraded or better or different, if we can just get a new job that makes more money, if we can just get the new iPhone, if we can just get the new upgrade, then, then there's life in those places. But, but scripture tells us that those who trust in riches will fail. It's a lie. Greed's a lie. It says the stingy are eager for riches. They're unaware that poverty awaits them. Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this, that whoever loves money never has enough. It's a lie. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. We have a predator that lies to us, that tells us that there's life found in these things, but scripture obviously opposes, is continued to oppose it and says, hey, these are not the truth. It's not where you're going to find life. Greed lies to us and it says that your worth and your joy and your purpose, your happiness is attached to money and the things that money can buy. It's attached to whatever else that you can find to grasp or that whatever you're fighting for, for the next new thing that you're fixing your thoughts and your affections on. But joy and happiness and worth and purpose are not found in these things. Jesus tells us, warns us of the lies that are breathed out by greed. In Mark chapter eight, verse 36, he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? He says this, he says, watch out in Luke chapter 12. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. Greed's a liar but it's also idolatry. If you go to Colossians, Paul writes this, that put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. See, what greed does is it makes God out of something that may be good, but was never meant to be God. And when we're greedy, what we do is we break both the 10th commandment that says don't covet and the first commandment that says have no other God before me. Because Jesus says it really clearly with great clarity what he says. He says you can't serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other. You'll despise or devoted one and, de and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
Greed is idolatry. It's a declaration of, of our worship and where we place our trust. And because, it is, because it's a, a declaration of worship and where we place our trust, it's ultimately disbelief. Greed is disbelief, disbelief in God's goodness and his provision. But it also is a dis, 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 a disproportionate, sorry, disproportionate trust in myself and my stuff and my ability to provide for myself. Greed says, I'm not really sure, God, that you can satisfy these desires or meet the needs that I have. Jeremiah is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Jeremiah chapter two, verse seven, it begins. He says, I brought you, talking to the Israelites, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, I brought you into fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made, it in, made my inheritance detestable. So I brought you here to have everything that you needed. And go skip down to verse 12. Listen to this. He says, be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder, shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and dug their own cisterns broken cisterns that cannot hold water. He says, I'm the one who will provide richly for every need that you have. But what greed does is it deceives us into disbelief and says, no, I've got to make it happen. And so the Israelites, the picture that they have is that they dug for themselves a cistern. If you don't know what a cistern is, it's a, it's a, place to hold water. I don't really have time for this one, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I, when I was a, in college, I went to Mexico for a week. Every year, a group of our, our college students went to Mexico on a mission trip. And one, the first trip that I went on, the, the time that we were there, the church that we were serving at wanted a cistern. Like they, they, had, they hosted groups all the time. And so they wanted a cistern. They dig this hole and they were going to cover it up and put the cistern in the ground so they could have water for showers and whatnot. And I literally spent Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day in a hole digging a cistern. Now, it was labor, right? It was back-breaking labor. Today, I would literally have died. I was young, did not die, but it was back-breaking labor. And if I went to that church today in Monclova, Mexico, Ebenezer Baptist Church, and they were like, yeah, that was cool how you dug that for like a long time and put a lot of effort into it, but we don't use that one anymore. It's not, you know, like we would rather use this old busted, you know, water bottles over here and they're just filling up cracked, you know, cracked water bottles. I would be angry. I'd be like, y'all are foolish. We dug a cistern. When God says, you've committed this great sin, you've forsaken me. I've given you everything that you need. And you said, I'm going to try to do it on my own. And in our trying to do it on our own and our grasping, we're grasping at broken things to try to satisfy the desires that he's put in our heart, that he says that he's going to satisfy. It's disbelief. It's destructive. Passage we all, our passage this morning, the greedy stirs up conflict in Proverbs 1. It says it takes away, that greed takes away life of its possessors. Like once we have it, it takes away our lives. It ruins, it brings ruin to our households. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, it says, those who want to be rich fall into temptation, to a trap, and many 
and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered far from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Billy Graham says that, that greed is probably the parent of much more evils than any other sin. That, it's, that greed gives birth. She breeds lying and strife and fighting and quarreling. And Jesus tells us in, in Mark chapter four, verse 19, he says, but the worries of this life are deceit and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. And what Jesus says is what happens when we become greedy, it becomes destructive because it chokes out the life of Jesus inside of us. When our hearts are so set on being rich or having the next new thing or, or just more of whatever it is, it literally begins to choke out the life of Jesus inside of us. What an incredible picture of destructive nature of this sin. That it would choke out God's life inside of us and it leaves us with one last question. How, do we, how does the gospel refine and give us freedom and hope as we face greed in and around us? Freedom comes first, I would say this, from faith in Christ. As with all sin that we face, that the battle is not just, it's, it's not just a, a fight and it's over, right? The, the battle goes on. It's a lifelong battle. It rages and then it may rest, but it's still, it's never over until Christ comes back. And, but how, the reality is that we only have one avenue for freedom from the grip of sin, of greed and any other sin. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. And listen, lean in because everything that we've talked about so far and we're gonna talk about as we move on hinges right here on what we say. That there's no victory there's no freedom, there's no hope over sin unless we have faith in Jesus. The battle that we face right now with greed and other sins that we're gonna talk about over the next several weeks and all of the ones that come from those roots, the battle over sin belongs to the Lord and he has gone before us and purchased that victory. I wanna say this every week from now on. There's the vice in this case, we're talking about gluttony and the virtue. In this case, we would talk about generosity. And between those two, the road from vice to virtue is blocked by our sin. Unless we go through the victory that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no moving from vice to virtue on our own. It only happens. There's only victory from vice to virtue through the cross of Jesus Christ. We can do our very best to rid ourselves of greed, but only through Jesus do we have victory. So we lean into the cross and we fall on our face and say, God, would you rescue me? But not only does he give us victory, he gives us the ability to recognize. He equips us with the ability to recognize and to renounce. In, in Titus, it says this, in Titus chapter two, he says, for the grace of God has appeared and offered salvation that we trust in Christ. Verse 12, it says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-control and upright godly lives in the present age helps us recognize sin and renounce it and run from it. It rescues us and it gives us the power to run from sin. The second way that we are refined and give, have, find freedom, it comes from resting in Christ's greatness and his faithfulness. We don't serve a God of scarcity. 
The God that we serve, the God of the Bible is, is the creator of the heavens and the earth and there's no end to his abundance and his provision. It says in Romans eight, it says, what then shall we say? What is our response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. Listen, how will he not also along with him, his son graciously give us all things? can rest in his faithfulness and his greatness and find hope in knowing that, that he is our possession, that, that just like it says in, in, in Matthew, as Jesus teaches, he says that, that Jesus is the, is the treasure that's hidden in the field and the man goes and sells everything that he has to have the treasure, that we possess this treasure. And when we recognize that we possess Christ, what more could we want? And we have an inheritance that will never fail, never perish. And lastly, we're refined or the refinement is marked by three things. And we'll move through these quickly. That's marked by gratitude, generosity, and sacrifice. What happens when we become greedy, when we forget that God of creation is the giver of every good gift. And then he's lavished on us as his children abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. But when we remember that, when we rehearse those things, when we are reminded of those things, it keeps us from being entitled, but rather to be thankful that our hearts are, are, explode with gratitude. And then from that gratitude, because we understand that Jesus was generous in giving his life, we can be generous and we can share the things that we have knowing that it's not gonna run out. There's no chance of it running out because Christ and his provision is endless. I love Proverbs when it says, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. We can give, we can be generous without worrying that it's gonna run out because God who is the father will never run out. We're refined and we find freedom. We experience hope. We look more like Christ, not only when, we, when we're generous and we're grateful, but when we sacrifice in those moments where we just say, no, I don't need the new. I don't need the bigger. I don't need the new job with the bigger paycheck. Literally what you've provided God is enough. I don't know how many, how many fellas I've met in the past 10 years of, of pastoring that took jobs knowing that they were going to make more money and not realizing that it was gonna ruin their family. But in the wake of greed is destruction. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a new iPhone because I thought it was gonna be super cool to get a new one. And then you get it and you realize, oh, it's just like the old iPhone that I had. It's maybe just a little bit faster or but all the same pictures are there, same functionality. I really didn't need the new. We live perpetually trying to find the new and the bigger and the greater. The soup that my kids will swim in today is not the same that I swim in. It's not gonna be the same that my grandkids swim in. And while the ingredient of greed walks through all of those, over all of it is the reality that Christ has purchased victory and freedom for us. 
and gives us hope to move from the vice of greed to the virtue of generosity. One author says it this way, and I think it just, this will be our closing. I'm going to invite uh, Greg to come back up. We're going to sing a song just in response. It says, the pastor writes this, that as I walk past the window display or contemplate some, some generous gift or ponder purchasing a new device, the deep solution to my inordinate desires to have more and more is not to have nothing, but to have Christ. The great remedy, the great remedy to greed's disordered love is the daily reordering of my heart in view of my beloved. The death blow to greed is the simple refrain of Solomon's song, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. That all I have and ever could truly want to possess is summed up in the truth that I belong to Christ and he is my great provider. We're gonna sing a song just together as a response. The song is, Give Me Jesus. And I think it's a fitting time for us to respond. And, and I, I'm, I'm not gonna tell you what you should do. Maybe you need to sit there and, and spend some time with the Lord in and, and this response. Maybe you wanna stand up and sing this out loud. It can be sung over you or you can join us in singing it. The reality is you need to respond to what God's doing in your heart. And remember that it's not us pulling up our bootstraps and trying our best. There's only one way to victory and it's through the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you've never trusted Christ for salvation, then that's the starting point for you. If you do have a relationship with Christ and what he's calling is he's exposing sin in your own heart and saying, hey, I wanna provide for you where you're trying to provide for yourself, then fall on his grace because it's offered for all of us. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are so good. And I pray that you would have this morning your way in this, in this room. Draw us nearer to you. Refine us, Lord. And make us look more like you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, subscribe to it or share it with some friends. You can also check out some of our other great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit us at our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful for you.